When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Today is super exciting. Sabrina, I think, is excited about this, but I think she might also be a little bit worried that it's going to go off the rails. We're going to be talking about reality TV, some of our favorite things. Right, Sabrina? Sure. Absolutely. Why would I go off the rails at all well, when about I, this? Because I have relationships with uh, two of our three guests that are not necessarily ones that make us all be serious. I want to introduce to everyone my friend, producer, creator, fellow Penn graduate, and... Uh, a man who has abandoned Los Angeles, Mark Cronin. Mark worked on the Howard Stern Show, created Below Deck, worked on Singled Out, and brought us such mega hits as Flavor of Love and uh, what other ones? Rock of Love. Oh boy. boy so you worked with all the greats. Yeah, Holly all Carter. The greats. Yeah, Holly Carter, who we have to behave ourselves because she's new to the group executive producer and founder of Releve Entertainment, which is doing amazing things. Mm. And Steven Grossman, who is an agent in the reality space. And also, well, actually, I take that back. You used to be my agent. Then you became this, like, hot shop manager. Yes, accurate. So I love it. I love it. I love it. I know. You went from 10 to 15%. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Steven is family, Mel. Steven is family. He's totally family. I'm going to, I I could ask any of you my first question, but I am going to go with Mark because honestly, I've known him the longest. Excuse me? Excuse me? Really? Well, no, besides you. I mean, of our guests. You're not a guest. You're family. Okay, Okay. Mark. Yes. What makes... And this is like the stupidest question, but everybody wants to know it. What makes a good reality show? What is the recipe? Well, I mean, there's different reality shows sell different things to their audience. Some are trying to be uh, uh, dramatically, uh, uh, you know, suspenseful. Um, some are trying to be high conflict and, and show a lot of, uh, uh, conflict and resolution and some are trying to be emotional. I mean, it really kind of depends on, on the subject matter, but I think strong feeling or strong feeling on screen, uh, is certainly one of the common and, you know, really important aspects of reality television. I mean, we are, we are looking to look at ourselves and we like to see ourselves in extreme situations, whether it's uh, a chance to win a million dollars or it's uh, uh, flipping a table in a restaurant. Um, not that that's ever happened. No, not that I've done it, but I like, I like watching other people do it and, and wonder what's wrong with them. <laughs> Holly, why do you think some work and some don't? I just think, you know, the 
at the end of the day, it is what's going to resonate with your audience. You know, if the audience can't connect or relate and the story doesn't compel or provoke, then the people don't respond. And um, that's really, you know, what I found in the shows that did work and didn't work um, that I've done. It, it's literally that. What are the concepts? What are the stories? What are the stakes? Are they relatable? And if the audience doesn't react to it, then it's bye-bye. I mean, Stephen, you would know this more than anybody. I always feel like a lot of these shows are so talent-driven Mm-hmm. That if you have someone who's not a big personality, not uh, uh, compelling, you don't have anything. Because I just know from a production point of view, it's better to pull someone back in than try and draw them out. I mean, how do you know which of your talent is is ready for a reality show? I think it depends on the genre. Like, you know, I think that when you put together a reality show for somebody it depends and there's several different reasons why. Like if it's if it's within a certain genre, whether it's music or DIY or home renovation, it's or interior design or style, it's like, are they the best of the best in their field? And are they the best at what they do and kind of a space owner in that category? And well, what if they're boring? A lot of people I know who are really good at shit are just boring. Well, they can stick to social media and self-financed YouTube channels. <laughs> I think he makes a good point. It is genre. It is genre. He just he made a good point. It is genre driven. You know, yeah, like TV is not a genre for boring people. And sometimes, like you know, Holly and Mark can speak this too. When you're putting a cast together, it's like putting together pieces of a puzzle, and not everybody can be like the Nini. Like you need people to balance each other out, and mm-hmm. that's okay too. But like someone who isn't a strong, compelling character probably isn't going to carry a show, or they're not going to carry a successful show. It's going to stay on air very long. Well, and you mentioned Nene Leakes, who I've worked with and who I adore, but she even off camera is a big personality. Totally. Totally. Well, that's, that's because she's a reality person. You know, it's, it's a person, uh, an actor uh, is very quiet in their real life. And then they get out in front of the lights and they have scripted lines and they blow up as a big personality. But in reality television, it's about a real person. It's about it. And we just look for people who, have no filter mm-hmm. and are good off the cuff and aren't too inside their own head, you know, like aren't, aren't all trying to figure out what do I look like when I'm speaking? You need people who are kind of just out there, just living right out there. And, uh, and it has to be, it has to kind of come naturally to them or it just doesn't work as you said, Melissa. And in some cases it can't be like, I've got something to lose because Yeah, if you've got something to lose and you need to protect yourself, reality is probably, you know, not what you do. I think Mark brings up an important point, though, not being too inside your head, because I think a lot of reality stars try to self-produce and show you the version that they want to be portrayed as on TV. And oftentimes that doesn't work. Like, I think that Kardashians works because they let you kind of tape everything and they put it all out there on the line. And then in edit, they kill the stuff in post-production that they're not comfortable with, but they allow themselves to be exposed. They allow themselves to be vulnerable. And I think it's one of the reasons why the show has been so successful for so many years. But most shows don't let people go in the edit and take out what they don't like about themselves. No, but we'll still do it. We'll still, you know, the producer of the reality show is still going to protect characters exactly. that they are that are important to them or that they're trying to... You know, we do pre- present people in a certain way. You can't present, we, 
I mean, the more sophisticated the reality show, the more 360 they'll present their characters, but you still can't be actually presenting somebody exactly as they actually are. You're trying to trim off things that don't make sense inside the character, if that makes sense. Right, but kind I mean, of, I, I even know just from my experiences, they do try and, and put you in a lane. It does become a character. And when yeah. I did I'm a Celebrity, I got not in trouble, but I threw everything off because I was not who they thought I was going to be. Well, that's not good. That's not a good technique. I mean, you have to oh, be. Oh, so it's my fault. <laughs> no, 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 not you. It's the producers. I, I feel like. Oh, I'm I, kidding. I feel like, I feel like uh, the producer's job is to roll with what is in front of them. That that to to be able to be nimble enough to adjust to the story that's in front of you and the characters that you are being presented with, not to try and hammer hammer your cast into some preconceived notion of who they were. Right. And, and, but I think, but what would happen was, you know, I mean, we all know this and we can all speak really honestly because, well, I'm asking you to, which should be absolutely good enough. Um, is when you cast, you do think about everybody kind of fits in a slot. And yeah. that's what they did with me. They thought I was going to be the princess who couldn't cope. And it came down to be, just the opposite. I came down to the final two. They did not do a good job getting to know you ahead of time then. Yeah. Well, because you are you are not a princess. Oh, just go. <laughs> thank you. Holly, it, this is a bit of a chicken and an egg question. Do you when which for you when you're creating something comes first? Concept or do you meet someone and say, oh my God, we need to make build a show around this person? I think in my experience it's been relationship and building uh, the show around them. Most, most of my shows that I've created have been curated around the talent that I'm in partnership with um, or curated around a world that, you know, I am uniquely connected to. For example, when I created Preachers of LA, I created that specifically around the preachers that I had relationships with and that I knew were a bit out of the box, a bit off the cuff, and a bit open to, um, you know, being put on a main stage. Um, but even in that part, to Mark's point, I had to really protect that. Yeah. Because as my pastors got comfortable, I was like, now, wait a minute. I know you're not getting ready to do this when you got to get up in the pulpit Sunday morning. You need to bring that back. We're not showing a gun when you're going to preach on Sunday. So it was, it, I had, to, I found myself having to protect the preachers um, in an effort to, you know, protect their ministries. But, but, but again, that, you know, going back to your initial, initial question, it's usually birthed out of relationship I have or communities or worlds I'm already connected to. Thank God for you, Holly, because I watched that show and I tell you, I was rebuking those pastors left and right, but it was, it was interesting TV. I will say that. <laughs> yes, it was definitely interesting. It was water cooler conversation for sure. And for Oxygen, it was one of their biggest hits out of the gate. So, uh, but again, it was something that I curated around people that I already knew, but at the same time, I knew that they had the quirky sensibility and character to be a reality personality. Well, I have a question for Stephen. What do you do when, let's say, your client was one of these pastors on the show and they weren't being shown in the best light? How do you handle that with your client? Oof, that's tough. Um, Come on. 
Come on. Stephen, you better tread very carefully as I have worked with a number of your clients. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a I'll professional. What, as a producer, I do not want a phone call from somebody's manager. Oh. That is, I am not interested in that at all. Oh, and like, isn't it the if, worst when you get it? And you don't want it from Steven because he comes at you with both guns blazing. You don't want Steven in your face. A manager's on the phone. Here's oh. what I will say to that. Yes. <laughs> I have come to appreciate over the years that I think all of you can attest to as well is that sometimes what makes someone a compelling character for reality television can make them extraordinarily difficult to deal with in real life because you often don't get one without the other. And depending on how they came to be, too, like take out an Abby Lee Miller, for example, right? I've never worked with her personally, but like think about it. One day you're a dance instructor at some studio in you know, small town Pennsylvania. The next day you are thrust into the limelight as the star of your own show on Lifetime. And like, you don't understand Hollywood and our business and what an agent, manager, producer, you know, attorney does. And it's kind of like sink or swim and you're thrown off the deep end. Um, I think that when someone is not happy with their portrayal, you know, the go-to is always that they painted you in a light that isn't accurate. But also, you know, as producers, you can't create things that the talent didn't give you, if that makes sense. Like you had to kind of put it out there to begin with. There's only so much magic that can be working post-production. And a lot is. Yeah, and a lot is. And I think it's always like my goal is always to figure out like what's the happy medium in terms of the version of the story that the producers are trying to tell because the show needs to be successful. And the direction that the talent wants to go and like how do we meet in the middle because if the talent isn't happy and they don't feel comfortable with the person that they're trusting their portrayal to they're probably not going to stay on the show very long so it's just more about how can we come to a resolution that kind of works for all parties and get everybody back on the same page if there's a disconnect you're being very polite i've had some of those phone calls with you I've had some of those phone calls with you. I have had some of the phone calls, and this is not the Stephen Grossman I don't know, but I I like this one. I like this one. Go ahead, Mark. If you built a show around somebody, if you build a show around, say, one of Stephen's clients, and they're the centerpiece of the show, uh, they have an enormous amount of power. And uh, if they want to complain about how things are getting done or how they're being portrayed, they're going to have a lot of say in the matter because the whole show is hinging on them. I mean, the biggest danger in reality television is that the cast quits. Um, yeah. In general, you're, you're dealing with non-professional, you know, as, as Steven said, people aren't used to Hollywood or they're used to be able to quit a job or whatever. And uh, it, a show I do on Below Deck, people who work on yachts, they're used to, if they don't like their captain, they walk down the dock and get on a different boat, like with, with, with a duffel bag. Mm. Um, that can't happen on a reality show. We're spending $8 million on you. We're, we've built, you know, you're a character on our show. You can't just walk off unexplained and disappear from the world for us. You have to, you have a job to do, you have an interview to do tomorrow or whatever. You so, can if you can, if you're Jocelyn Hernandez, you can just walk away. Right. But you know, I, I like that Steven said though, that I will say, you know, you have this conversation with the talent that you're working with in the very beginning. You know, I've, I have a show that's uh, premiering in its second season on VH1. And one of the things that I've always told the agents were, if you do not give it to them, they don't have it. You can't come back to me and say, I don't like that when you did it. When I told you, you are an agent first. When you leave this show, you have to have a career. 
And this show, it's called Love and Listens on on VH1. You know, it's a little more, it's a little little different from what I've done in my career. Because every honestly, everything you've done, you've really stayed in a very different lane than let's say Mark and myself. You've gone much more into the yeah, Mark's laughing. <laughs> what lane is that that we're in, Melissa? It's like, we're in we're in more of a more of a bigger, louder lane. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Absolutely right. And it's so that's not a point. muddy, dirty lane. No. Well, okay, right Mark, you're not we'll, we'll throw bodies to the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Where, I can't, where Holly does things thing. that are more spiritual and yeah. uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. Her lane is yeah. her lane is clean and paved and I'm sure is, Holly, she knows how to handle them. She'll but her yeah. shows are very they're much more uplifting and have a much more right. sort of spiritual bent. That doesn't mean where, you don't have drama just because no, there's some spiritual stuff involved. Yeah, yeah but make, Mark Mark will hurl a body overboard. He doesn't care. Well, it really brings up an interesting point about drama, because I think people's fear when they step into reality television is always about the drama, the stakes, and the jeopardy. But every show can have drama, but not necessarily in a salacious way. Like, if you look at Zoe, like, Rachel was a great example, because the drama, the stakes, and the jeopardy might have been like, okay, Cameron Diaz is coming here at 12 o'clock for an Oscar fitting. All her gowns were supposed to be here at 10 a.m. via FedEx. They're not here yet. We have nothing for her to try on. What are we going to do and how do we fix the problem? Like mm-hmm. that's drama, but it's not people flipping people's and pulling out people's weaves. And I think the challenge too is that reality television over the years has gotten increasingly louder. Mm-hmm. So to be compelling, now when you have these crazy men and women and people fighting, it's like things that aren't at that level kind of pale in comparison. And that's one of the challenges I think yeah. for and especially producers, like how do you keep up with that and still keep it interesting, but hopefully still do something to Holly's credit that you can be proud of. I've actually noticed a change in the audience because of the COVID crisis that uh, mm-hmm. people are stuck at home and they're a little less interested in ugly drama. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they find it, uh, you know, their, their lives are already so tense and full of fear mm-hmm. that they're looking for television to be a little bit more of an escape from yes. um, horror and um, to the extent that you know we have we had characters especially in this last season of uh, surreal of um, below deck that were unlikable and I think that um, uh, the audience is not as uh, open to watching unlikable people right now anyway that's very true which is why in this in this climate um, and you know prayerfully it would have done great anyway but when we did the Clark sisters that was lifetime's biggest original movie in the last four years and by the time the weekend was done we had streamed I think 13 million and so that but the stories there had drama had conflict but it was based in redemption music family you know, love. And, and so to your point, yes, people do want an alternative. And I think the time for what I do is right, because that's what I believe in. I believe in alternative reality that is not sappy or um, boring, but still thought provoking, but always a line of redemption that threads through and something that can, you can take away that makes you feel a little better after you've experienced it. What, how, I mean, and I can answer this, but my answer isn't as is, is exciting as yours. How real are reality shows? Wow, that's that's crickets. It's a it's a spectrum. <laughs> no, 
I mean, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum from the kind of reality shows that are, uh, I don't know, documentaries where they're literally fly on the wall, just trying to, you know, portray what happened. Of course, edited for time, but as as strict as possible to what happened. To things where they'll set up a scene and tell the two people what their conversation is going to be, and tell them when they're going to, you know, when they're going to amp it up and get mad at each other, and who's going to say what, and who's going to like who, and who's not going to like who. I mean, there are some reality shows, sadly, produced that way. Um, I personally, I try to do reality shows that are what I always say to the cast before we start shooting is we're going to we're going to tell the generally true story of what happens here. Generally, um, being the operative word. It has to be. It has to be. I can't. I can't tell the absolute truth of what's happening here because we're. It's. It's like. Um, it's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. If you try to observe something, you're changing it. So just by sticking a camera in a room and shooting two people having a conversation, you're altering the conversation they would have had if the camera hadn't been there. So to some extent, it's the producer's job to overcome that problem. To overcome the try and pull the pull the story back to reality, to be honest with you. What do you call that? The Heisenberg principle? It's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It's a quantum mechanics concept where if you try to see where an electron is, you can, you can say where the electron is, but you can't say how it's moving. Or if you can say how it's moving, you can't say where it is, meaning you can't observe it without changing what's happening. So it's the truth with reality television too. You can't observe people working with camera, you know, shooting them with cameras without changing what the way they feel or the way they react or what they say and so some of our job as producers is to try and overcome the fact that we're messing up the world with our cameras like we have to take a a person aside for a moment and say you're not saying what you're thinking like i know you're upset and you're not saying that why is that well i don't want to look like a bad guy that's because the camera's there the cameras is screw the camera is screwing up reality television so i have to as a producer get that person to be more real if that's possible but then that's me interfering so you have to you'll have to make your own judgment of how real is that when i try to get somebody to say what they're really thinking is that am i am i doing something that's not real i don't know the answer and ladies and gentlemen that is where an engineering degree (laughs) intersects with reality television Mark, I am so impressed that you made those four years at Penn transfer into your career. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Mark was an engineering major. He can also build a light rail system. I love that. <laughs> how do you know when a character is ready for a spinoff, Stephen? I mean, I think that, to me, the most dangerous thing you can do is give someone a spinoff before there is the appetite in the marketplace to sustain it. And the same can be said, you know, even spinning them off into licensed products and things like that. Because if you are in too much of a rush to like make a buck, well, maybe if you were a little bit more precious and held back, you could have made $5 tomorrow instead of a dollar a day. And I think sometimes people rush them too quickly, but I think it's really a function of like the popularity and the demand and, and when there is reason too, like there has to be reason to give them a spinoff. Like what's the why? Not just a spinoff for the sake of having a spinoff. Well, Mark, you are the king of spinoffs. And I say that with all love and respect because you, I mean, and I am saying this again with all love. When do you know you've run something into the ground? Well, that's the obvious answer is when the ratings go down. We never know ahead of time. 
you're always like, well, can we do it a third time? Yeah, well, the raves were really high the second time, so let's go for the third time. And if that works, then go for a fourth. I mean, you're going to go until it fails. And um, But you keep spinning off and spinning. I mean, you you find a way, which is makes me incredibly jealous, to just keep, you find these shows and these people that you just can spin off and spin off and spin off, you know, to infinity. Well, I mean, it's it's step one is make a hit show. That's always step one. Well, and that's the easy uh, part, right? No, that's one of the <laughs> So if you can make a hit show, then step two is exploit the hit show. So so step two is you can't sell t-shirts if it's not a hit show. You right. can't have a spin-off if it's not a hit show. So make a hit show, concentrate on that. Don't worry about merchandising or spin-offs or anything. Just make a hit show. And then the audience will tell you if they want more of that show or so much more of that show that they can stand two of that show. Like in the case of Below Deck, we made one Below Deck and it took maybe three, four years before it was popular enough, but it eventually became popular enough that the network said, clearly the audience can stand to watch this some more. Let's do another version. And now we've just done our third version. And so, but, but step, that's when you know. You know that it's time for a spinoff when the audience is obviously demanding it. There's no other way to tell. Are we starting to think, and this is something I always think of, um, are reality shows a reflection of who we are or are they more a sense of escapism? Because I think we have, like you were talking about with the COVID, I, the COVID situation, I think we have gone in a strange way. We're starting to pivot to more you know, of aspirational and uplifting, uplifting rather than, you know, weave pulling and table flipping. So do we think that this next batch of reality shows that we're going to see coming out are going to be almost a kinder, gentler? What do you think about that, Holly? You know, I, I will have to say in my recent conversations with the networks and them, you know, reaching out based on what they know I do, I do feel like there is an appetite for it, but it's because of the climate that we are in. Um, I feel like the love and hip hops will probably never go away because there's an audience for it. They will be there. But I also think there is equally now an audience that wants to rise above and be inspired outside of the injustice and the feeling of just overwhelming despair we've been left in from the pandemic to you know the injustice so so yes i i, I feel i have to say i feel like there's going to be room for both but i think just like there's room now a lot more for what i do in terms of faith-based content people are also hungry now for more aspirational content, but that doesn't mean the other stuff is gonna go away. I think one of the things that's exciting is that like, it feels like the era of the kind of really Hollywood glossy reality shows is, is fading and we're getting into this new genre of like really real stories. Like, you know, when you look at the success of Tiger King and making a murderer, I think people are- Well, and those were uplifting stories. I wouldn't call either of those aspirational, Stephen. No, no. <laughs> it's not uplifting and aspirational. But what's cool is that we're getting into like really real stories in terms of documentaries. And like, you know, or if you look at like what Leah Remini did with Scientology, where it's not about necessarily the ensembles anymore. 
set in a world or this group of friends. It's like stories that happen in real life. Then we're going back and retelling and we're using the real characters to go about that and do that. I think that it's like this whole genre of documentary has opened up that wasn't as popular two, three or four years ago. And you guys brought up the networks. Um, I mean, I firmly believe the networks never know what they want. So what show did the networks pass on, Holly and Mark, of yours that you think to this day is still that one lurking in your drawer that you believe in? Okay, let me say this. So I, so it's so funny because just, just yesterday, uh, maybe a maybe few weeks ago, um, there was a show that I pitched called Church in the Wild. And it's literally where a pastor and a street advocate, a kind of a street pastor, switch places to try to deal with the injustices that's plaguing the community. And um, the executive was like, no, yeah, that's probably not for us. So yesterday I got on the phone with the head honcho of the network and the reaction was, wow, that's right where we need to be. <laughs> I, I think that fits with what we're trying to do. Um, let's, let's talk about that. And it just, it goes to show you that just like I said with the Clark sisters, and this is no slight on the executive because the executive is um, very smart and I like that executive a lot, but it goes to show you, like I said, with the Clark sisters, timing is everything, but God's timing is perfect. Now, I don't know how far we'll move, um, but based on the reaction from the lead of the network, the timing of it makes sense. So I do believe that we all probably have things in our um, drawers that we need, or draw, however you want to say, that we need to pull out and repitch because the timing is, is now. And, and even those projects that reflect Black culture, projects that re reflect female culture, projects that, to Stephen, Stephen's point, re reflects the culture of the hidden or silenced voice. Those are the stories that I want to tell because there are many, it's not just social injustice. There are a lot of injustices that have happened to us over the years. And now is the time for us to get our 40 acres and a mule. Nice. Holly brings up a really important point though, that like no two executives will usually look at the same project in the same way. And that's something that I learned really early on over the course of my career. Like remember when I was an agent, and I was repping one of the big global production companies and they came to me with the sizzle reel for a show they were really excited about. And it was literally to me like a version of Real Housewives. And I was like, how the hell am I ever going to sell this show? Like this shit's never going to sell. But, you know, obviously we have to do our best. And like I took it into one um, major cable network and the exec watched the tape. And then literally in the pitch meeting, you know, they told her what the title was. And she's like, why don't we just call it The Four Horrors? And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so literally though we went to another cable network we played the tape and the head of programming was like oh my god i love it it's like real housewives but it's through the men's point of view and like this is really interesting and they bought it so like two people what happened to it it sold and we made the pilot but it never got picked up to series unfortunately but you know to holly's point it's also like 
no two people walk away with the same takeaway from even if it's the same project, like everyone's going to cling onto a different aspect of it. It's going to be appealing or unappealing to them. So sometimes it is a little bit luck of the draw in terms of like who the exec is, what they see in it and what their takeaway and sensibility. Is. But as, as Holly says, it's, it's always, I mean, as soon as they fire one regime and another regime comes into the channel, you can just go back and pitch everything that that old regime passed on. Yeah. And that you can sell shows that way easily. The stuff in your briefcase, I mean, some of it, I guess, gets dated. But in general, it's like you can you can try and sell a concept for years and years and years and just wait until the timing's right. As Holly says, until God's timing comes comes to be. So. Okay, but Mark, what show did you, have you not, that you still believe in, have you not been able to sell? Well, I have a, I have a show that um, <clears throat> I sold once to Fox and then uh, there was a regime change and it disappeared again. And it's, it's a literally impossible show, but I think I could pull it off. It's called Shoot the Moon. Uh-huh. And the idea is that uh, a bunch of teams, I wanted them to be corporate sponsored teams like Harley Davidson and whoever. And they, the, the competition is to build a rocket and hit the moon. And you can. There's uh, nothing. Dan- not- that's not an insurance issue at all, yes. is it? <laughs> no liability. Well, listen, everybody's building rockets. Rockets is, uh, <laughs> can't be that hard. Everybody right. and their brother's building a rocket, and you don't have to like if you don't have to put an astronaut in the thing. It's just just hit the moon with a blue. There, there's that engineering degree rearing its head again. Yeah. Anyway, I sold it once, but I'm I'm still waiting. Now rockets are much more common now. Maybe I can sell it. <laughs> so I want to do a little. Well, okay, what, before we get to the, what I'm calling the lightning round, why is it that everybody thinks their life should be a reality show? Every time I meet someone, they're like, oh my God, my life should be a reality show. What, why do people think this? And I think we see a lot of this also now with Instagram where everybody wants to be an influencer or a Instagram model. It's like, why does everyone think their life is a reality show? Because I got to tell you, my life was a reality show and it, my life is not in in reality, is super not exciting. Well, I do think that people wish that their life was a reality show because, you, you know, it used to be, at least in my world on Below Deck, you know, we have these millionaires come on as the charter guests. And everybody always says, why are they, why did they do that? Why did they yeah, go on Yeah, I always TV wonder too, why are you going to ruin your vacation? Yeah. First well, of all, how much do they- everybody they, what a jerk you are or whatever? Right, but wait, do they actually have to pay the full charter- price no they they pay a discount like about a 60 it's like uh 40 off they pay 60 percent of the charter price because we're making them sign a contract that says we can edit them and all that stuff so it's it's not full price charter but they have to pay they pay real they really pay like 40 grand to come on the show but you're not getting real <clears throat> service like yeah they are they get yeah sure they get their drinks made and their water toys and their beach picnics and their beds turned down and i don't know I mean, the show does get in the way. It's not perfect, but, but what I'm getting to is why do they do it? Well, they do it because it used to be enough to be rich at the cocktail party, and you were the most interesting person if you were the richest person at the cocktail party. But the housewives changed that, and they made it that uh, the housewives, they weren't the richest people at the cocktail party, but they were the most famous. They were the ones we just saw on TV. And now all of a sudden, it wasn't enough to be a rich person at the cocktail party. You had to be a famous rich person at the cocktail party to have some fun. So now I have no trouble finding millionaires who are willing to come on this yacht and get drunk and act like idiots because they want to be seen. They want to be seen by their friends in their neighborhood because that makes them more interesting at the cocktail party. I mean, everybody wants their 15 minutes. And I think the 
influencer thing annoys me the most when you're, you know, you're on your Instagram or whatever, and you see these people doing these posts where they're like, everyone has been asking me. And you're like, you literally have 15 followers. Like, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody like, asking you mom, shit. Answer your mom and dad's questions offline. Any, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are sending you, you know, but I think everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. And I think what's gotten annoying is that it's it permeated into all these other genres now where like no one's happy being a doctor they all want to be dr phil no one wants to just be a stylist they want to be rachel zoe no one wants to be an interior designer they want to be nate burkus no one wants to be a chef they all want to be gordon ramsay so like everyone kind of wants to be somebody and no longer are they content with just whatever their job is because in every field there's almost a famous person okay quick lightning round for all of you so we'll just go i'm picking an order holly mark steven okay which show of yours was the hardest to sell? Church in the Wild. Mark? Slow deck. Steven? Um, maybe Perez Hilton Superfan because we sold it overseas first. What of your shows was the easiest to sell? Holly? Preachers of LA. Mark? Flavor of Love. Steven? Lala's Full Court Life. Which was of your shows was the unexpected hit? Holly. Preachers of LA. Mark. Flavor of Love. Steven. I expect them all to be hits. Oh, God. He's, <laughs> he's went into Asian he's gross, man. Which show was pitched to you that you regret passing on? Holly. Nothing. Blind Date. No. No, Mark. So, Mark, yours is Blind Date? Mm-hmm. I thought it couldn't be done. I thought a field produced daily show that had to be edited so that the show would could air every day shot in the field. I thought it was impossible. Oops. Shows what I know. Shows yeah. what I know. Oops. Oops. Nothing that I passed on has made it. So. Ooh, that's a good, good track record. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's a hard one. Just as an agent, we're pitched so many shows. I don't, I'd really have to think about that. Okay. Holly, which show do you wish you had made? I wish I had made, uh, ooh, that's hard. That's, yeah. yeah. I'll that's, come back to you. Mark, okay, which show do you wish you had made? Uh, I wish I had made a network hit game show, like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I would have loved to have made that show. Okay. I would have loved to have made The Voice. Yeah. Good answers. Mm-hmm. I would have said American Idol. Yeah. So final question, and Sabrina, you need to answer this also. Sabrina is pretending she doesn't watch reality TV. Wait, can we talk about that for a minute? Because that's a comment that I think we all get a lot. And I often have to tell people like, hey, do you watch the Super Bowl? Do you watch the Oscars? Do you watch Oprah? Like those are all forms of non-scripted TV. I think people have this perception that reality TV is just like love and hip hop. And that's not true. Well, Sabrina, Sabrina's lived reality TV thanks to... Uh, well, my mother. <laughs> Sabrina's just giggling over there, being suspiciously quiet. I love her. <laughs> Sabrina, what reality shows do you watch? Um, I'm guilty of uh, loving basketball, loving hip hop, um, the Atlanta Housewives occasionally. You know, I do all of those. Holly, what do you watch? Uh, I like The Voice. I like American Idol. 
Uh, I like Sunday best. You know, I like I like music driven reality shows and and fashion driven reality shows. Steven, what do you watch? Um, I try to watch a little bit of everything because I think it's important to understand the market. Like the, I mean, if I could only watch one, I would say my all time favorite was Real World, just because it was so groundbreaking and ahead of its time, and it kind of you know opened up the door for the whole entire genre. Mark, what is what what do you watch? Which is your favorite reality show? I can't really watch reality television. I mean, I watched Tiger King because it was amazing and riveting and shocking every five minutes. But other than that, like I, I mean, I, I think I sat with my wife and we watched a flower arranging show made in Britain, um, <laughs> like one or two episodes, but I, I, I don't know. I just can't watch reality television. It, I don't know. I'm not so a Mark, fan of the genre. Did Carol Baskin <laughs> kill her husband or not? What's the verdict? I watched that too. I still couldn't tell. I think she did. What do you think? What do you think, Dolly? She did. I think she did. She's too good. She's too, she's too indifferent, matter of fact. Uh, yeah. She had her husband, she had the new husband on a leash dressed up like Bam Bam or something. Yeah. It was. Uh, killing someone is so like, so extreme. I can't. Killing someone on a reality show is so extreme. <laughs> says like, the man. Really? Says the man who brought us America's most smartest model. Yeah, nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Greatest well, got title ever. They got emotionally hurt. But not yeah, the, greatest title yeah. ever. Greatest Thank title you. ever. Um, what else? I mean, I just I could talk. Sadly, I could talk reality television forever. Um, Sabrina, last question is actually for you, and I've never asked you this. How did it feel being on a reality show when you were kind of forced into it? Did you end up enjoying it? It was a blessing and a curse, being between you and your mother, always mediating. Well, that that had nothing to do with the reality show. <laughs> That's real life. That's real life. That was real life. I mean, that that was it. I had the best time, but there were some struggles where... You know, I felt like I was like the little ping pong ball between you and your mom. And you know, I'm going to tell it to you straight, whether you like it or not. I really don't care. I love you, but I'm going to tell you just the way it is. Everybody that knows me, Stevie, you know that. Yeah. I'll give it to you straight. She, and you she, didn't you, like that a lot of times. <laughs> by the way, you've told Stephen how it is sometimes too, and he didn't particularly like that. <laughs> no, but Sabrina, but I think that's a real friend. Like I like my friends. Like I want my friends to tell me the truth. Like when you ask someone an honest question, I think if you really care about them, you tell them the truth and not just what they want to hear. Like I remember even a client who um, dyed her hair like a crazy color, and she's like, "Oh, I'm like what the hell did you do to your hair?" And she's like. It looks great, and all my friends love it. And I was like, "Your friends are lying to you, and you need to get new friends." And she's like, oh. "And I'm like, well, I might be an asshole, but that doesn't make me wrong." Right. <laughs> but that's why Stephen and I get along so well because we have that kind of rapport. We've always had that. Yeah, and like she called me six months later, and she's like, "I have the funniest story for you." And she's like, "I was like, what?" And she's like, "I just dyed my hair back to brown," and all my friends are like, "Oh, thank God, we just felt back." <laughs> <laughs> but, but like a real friend, like whenever I watch the Oscars, right, and you see someone there looking crazy, the first thing I think is someone's wife, dad, mom, boyfriend, brother, mom, sister, lied to them, told them they look good, and let them leave the house looking like an asshole. And on that note, right? A, 
that gave me a television show that ran forever. And number two, and number two, a lot of these women actually, and I have had a friend who is a famous actress say this to me, who are they talking about today? They're not talking about the winner. They're talking about the one that looked crazy. So on that note, I thank everyone so much. So much fun to talk about it. Um, I know that I'm a reality television fan, junkie, participant, producer, and I only can hope that I can sell as many shows at one point as you guys because you really are the people who 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 run this world, so to speak. Oh, boy. I know. Sort of scary. <laughs> but I'm comfortable with it. Thank you, everyone. This has been another episode of Group Text. <laughs>